Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Final time this season. Welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast with me, Connor Clancy, your usual host, Kev Pogzelski, shirtless, trouserless, boxerless. No, box boxes are on for the moment. Okay. It's not too hot yet. Where is it there, Kev? It must be about forty degrees to justify what you've shown up wearing today. Uh, no, I think it's it, it's somewhere below twenty-five, but um, it's not it's not it's often I've got clothes on. Sorry, young man. Did we disturb you with this phone call? No, no, not at all. I've just been in pants for a couple of days now. Fair enough, fair enough. What you need to do is go back to a, a northern place and you'll be happier and more comfortable. It's what I've done. I'm very happy. Someone who's nowhere near northern, uh, Vito Doria, welcome back. Hello, how are you? Look, I'm all right, Connor. Uh, uh, well, with the outside world, just things are a bit strange as we're usually locked down most of the time. But in general, I think it's pretty much the same as usual for the last six months, to be honest. And uh, I see that you're back in Ireland. Yeah, your familiar yeah, lounge much. room or living room. It's been a long time since we've seen you there. Yeah, the, the usual background, um, the usual background for so, so long, but it hasn't been for two years now, but it, it does feel quite nice to be back in, in this environment to do the podcast, to be honest with you. But um, anyway, guys, we've reached the end of the season eventually. I mean, it's almost 365 days since we started. It's probably more than a year since our season preview pod, and we're now here to do the season review pod of course there are still some european fixtures to be fulfilled atalanta and inter both still very much continuing their european journey but we're here to talk about the domestic season we've got some general talk about Serie A, and of course we have the fif awards as well um 
team of the season, player of the season, goal of the season, everything you could possibly want as an award for Serie A, we've got. You guys read, listened, and you voted. You decided who is the winner for each respective category, and we will get to those in due course. But we'll start at the top, right? Because Juve, they, they won the Scudetto. We spoke about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but a lot has changed since then. Kev, Juventus, nine straight Scudetti, but they've sacked their coach, Maurizio Sarri. So how do we evaluate their season as a whole? Um, well, probably you can't use the word unsuccessful, um, but they, they clearly wanted more. Um, Sarri's probably suffered a little bit from the fact that Juve are in this period of domestic dominance where um, you'd argue even even domestic doubles aren't enough anymore um, and, and everything kind of rests on the on the Champions League. But um, also, Surrey was allegedly brought in to bring in a new style of football. Um, whether the club did or didn't want to give him the time, uh, there was obvious clashes there with uh, maybe how he presents himself um, when you look at the the very um, way at Juventus sort of can conduct themselves to uh, to commercialise every single aspect of the club and be this sort of smooth uh, operating uh, side but um, also you can't you know I know they dropped off towards the end of the season but this was a year that for the first time in a while, it looked like they could have lost the title if um, maybe we hadn't had the coronavirus uh, interrupt the season, which kind of allowed them to kind of pick up just enough points to see them see them across the line before then dropping a few after it had been secured. Yeah, we have kind of discussed that before and that it did very much look like last year were maybe not favourites, but definitely not far behind you in terms of how they were shaping up for the run-in until COVID and everything that followed. But Vito, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to the whole Sari thing and his successor in a moment because I do want to just talk about Juve. They, they ended the season as champions again, one point clear of Inter. The final table will show. Um, some people say that's generous on Inter. Some people say it's not. I personally think that it was only one point because Juve won it early and switched off. But in terms of this being a successful season for Juve, I mean, is it if they just win Serie A? Based on this season and what was perhaps perhaps expected for them internally and externally, I think it's still a bit of a disappointment uh, largely because not just also that they had uh, limped over the line essentially for the title, the way they managed to secure their title probably was not uh, as impressive as it was previously. They looked like they were capable of squandering those opportunities to wrap up the title. And uh, on the continent, to be honest, uh, it was a very disappointing the outcome. They lost to the away goals rule to Leon, but uh, to lose to a team that was 
I say with an asterisk, seventh in League One is disappointing. And with Sari, you would have thought that maybe with his approach, they could have done a bit better in Europe. But, uh, you know, as it turned out, he's pretty much done worse than um, Massimiliano Allegri, to be honest. In, in my opinion, I think he was there that to really just bring something a bit more because people could say what they want about the Europa League, but at least he won that with Chelsea. And that's still one more European trophy than what Max Allegri has done in his career so far. Lisa, do you have an, an element of sympathy for, for Sarri, given that he's a coach who very much requires backing and, I don't know, commitment to the project that he's brought in to do? He was given a year. He never really had the players to, to do what he wanted to do. Um, he was very much trying to fit square pegs in round holes. It didn't work, and they binned him off after a season. Is it? Has he been treated poorly by you, mate? I really think he has. It's very easy to blame coaches if a certain style of play or if a project doesn't work out. But with Sarri, he's not one of those guys that's going to be a tactical chameleon. He has that distinctive style of play. He has his own philosophy and he's got to stick to it. So to really build the team around with uh, with what he's got, maybe if they had the characteristics to suit his team uh, and his style then that's fine. But like at Chelsea, he had a team that was more suited to counter-attacking football. And I don't think with the, the free transfers and some of the other purchases they made, they really made a team that was going to make uh, Sarismo work. Uh, to me, I think also the chief football officer, Fabio Paratici, I think he deserves a lot more blame for the way this Juventus team has evolved and uh, also with his free transfers, uh, I think he's sold quite, I mean, he's purchased a lot of players that don't really fit into any Juventus squad. So even if Allegri wasn't sacked at the end of last season, I don't think Allegri would have done too much with these players too. Well, we do have <laughs> Kev Andrea Pirlo has come in to replace Maurizio Sarri, that Piero is worth remembering on, I think, the 30th of July, was appointed as their under-23 coach. He hasn't completed his coaching badges yet. He's never taken a training session as a coach at any level of football, never mind taken over for a game. And now he's been appointed as first-team coach of Italy's biggest and most successful club. Um, Surely I can't be the only one who's a little bit shocked and almost slightly offended that he's been given this job. Yeah, I, I can understand where where you're coming from um, with you know being being offended. I think any any hardworking coach, those with or without a playing background, that have spent years doing their badges and maybe working up the uh, the, the sort of youth structures within a side. Um, it must just be so disheartening to see a, a player come in and, you know, and get a job, let's face it, largely based on his name and what, what they hope he's going to bring. Um, there was, there was talk that the long-term aim was him to sort of follow a path that Zidane and Guardiola had done at, at Real Madrid and, and Barcelona before taking their, their first full-time appointments. And, um, I could kind of, you know, understand the sense in that, um, 
there have been other players that have that, that have done that, but for once it, it it looks as though Juve didn't really have a plan, considering the murmurs were they were going to dispose with Sarri at the end of the season. So why even appoint Pirlo to that role so recently? Does it smack you of um, almost desperation that Juve are just trying to become something that they're not? Like they they want to be this. Barcelona Real Madrid model um, and they're rushing into it despite the fact that you mentioned Guardiola who had worked with Barcelona's B team before taking the job Zidane had served an internship under Carlo Ancelotti and others before then coaching Castilla before getting the Real Madrid job and they've kind of tried to implement a similar thing but just made a complete mess of it yeah absolutely it's it's that copying others which doesn't always always work. You know, Zidane was having his troubles and, and walked away and now, has now come back. Um, you know, Guardiola kind of fell into place, but then Barca had their struggles trying to continue that um, sort of trend. Well, um, you know, I suppose he followed on with Tito Villanova and then sadly he, he had to give up the role, but they just it just screams that they don't really know what they're searching for at the moment in a in a head coach. Um, you know, Conti was maybe too demanding for them. Sari was not maybe um, Hollywood enough for them. So maybe that's what they found in Pirlo that it'll if you can fit any more bums on seats once we're allowed back in stadiums, um, it is a little bit more razzmatazz than what Sari was. So. We'll move on because there is a lot of confusion about awards in general at the moment. Our awards will probably stir up some controversy too, but Sarri have have done that. Paolo Dybala was named um, the MVP of Sarri despite not being named neither the best forward, which was Chiro Mobile, or the best midfielder, which was Papu Gomez. Dybala's the MVP of Sarri but Dybala's not the MVP of his club. Juventus because Vito Cristiano Ronaldo has been given that award and is this just a contractual thing with him at Juve or, or what's happened? Well to put it bluntly I suppose they needed something to stroke his ego if we had to you know, go down that line but that being said look if we just based it purely on stats he scored 31 goals in Serie A and that's 20 more than the next goal which is Dybala so I suppose in that regard, you know, they needed uh, something to sort of give uh, Ronaldo credit. Uh, to be fair, though, you know, he did have his role. He did have his importance, uh, Ronaldo. Don't get me wrong, but I suppose more than anything, and I think this is a case of us living in an age where social media is so important. Um, I don't think people want to see the Ronaldo fanboys uh, get their egos up and sort of have a reason to brag a bit more about him because uh, that's probably one of the things that you know he puts people off that you know Ronaldo is 35 he's managed to score over 30 goals in a Serie A season but then you just have these people that just brag about him and it just puts you off I mean you want to judge Ronaldo for who he is not because of any sort of admirers or 
fans that have a man crush on him. So they put you off and, you know, you want to make a proper judgment just on what you see with your own eyes, not necessarily because of what others think and how they keep bragging about him. Yeah, fair enough. Kev, I know the, the Pala Dybala scratches something on your service that you're desperate to dig into. So do, do you want to air your grievances? Uh, well, you know, it it comes from the whole Ronaldo being Juventus' player of the season. He wasn't even the best player at Juve. It's a bit different if, you know, Serie A give it to uh, Immobile or, you know, or anybody else for that matter that doesn't play for Juve. But um, I don't think we can say too much when our team of the season, which we'll move on to, featured uh, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo and not Dybala. Um, I, I was asked to to give my player of the season and told uh, the powers that be that it was Dybala and then got pointed out, it was pointed out to me that they, he hadn't made our team of the season because of the, the way the votes uh, are structured, which sounds a lot like a, a dodgy Ballon d'Or uh, <laughs> award. Um, so, you know, so it went to, to Papu Gomez. But um, yeah, I would have put Delict, Bentancur, uh, and Dybala probably all of all ahead of Ronaldo this year. But the consistency of their performance and what they gave to the squad and age, um, Dybala's case difficulties when they were looking to ship him out. Delict had only just joined the league, which it's gone on for so long this year. I kept having to remind myself that both Delict and Sari had started uh, the season at Juventus, you know, their debut season, because it's gone on for so long. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's, let's start by going through our, our awards now, shall we? Because you've touched on it. Our team of the season, um, I'm, I'm not very happy with a lot of our colleagues at the moment based on some of the votes, but we're, we're structuring it in a 4-3-3. That's just the way we do it to make it a little bit easier. And for a player to be voted in a given position, they must be capable of playing in that position. It doesn't mean that they necessarily play in that position every week. Um, so we've gone for a 4-3-3. Juan Musso's in goal. The back four is Juan Cuadrado, Chris Smalling, Acerbi and Robin Gossens. The midfield three, Luis Alberto, Amrabat and Papu Gomez. And the front three are Romelu Lukaku, Chiro Immobile and Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, that's the FIF official team of the season. Kev, have you got your team of the season there handy to tell us who you voted for? Uh, yeah, so I should say that I try not to uh, go more than two players from a side. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't completely rule out people I've got in, but I've matched a lot of what our team of the season is. So Musso in goal, um, Lazari at right back, uh, Delict, uh, Acherby and Gosens, Gomez, Amrabat and Alberto, and then uh, the front three is where mine differs quite significantly. Where I had Dybala uh, over Ronaldo, Lukaku, and I also included Gulusevski because of what he gave to the league and given his age. Can I ask why you've gone for Lukaku over Chiro Mobile? Um, it was a hard one. Uh, on the bit of paper, I was sort of sat here and the wife was wondering what the, what the hell I was doing. Um, 
I, I kind of because Lukaku came into the league, because I think of uh, how much he contributed to Inter's improvements this season, um, and possibly the sheer number of penalties that that Immobile got, and then arguably towards the end of the season where Lazio needed someone to step up and, and maybe sort of stop uh, the rot, for want of a better phrase. Um, when they sort of hit that run of poor form, I just feel Lukaku gave into a, a little bit more when compared directly to Immobile. You know, you look, you know, looking just away from the pure numbers, which is largely, I think, what's what's happened when Immobile and Ronaldo have got into majority of people's team in a season. Fair enough, fair enough. And um, Vita, have you got your eleven there, please? I think my. My 11 from memory is pretty much similar to the actual one. Uh, where I probably might have differed is I probably got Dybala instead of Ronaldo. But, um, yeah, uh, and even if it wasn't that initially, uh, in uh, hindsight, I would rather have uh, Ronaldo there. Uh, and just on a further I note, have I think your we've 11 here, Vita. If you can't remember, I've got your submitted 11 here that I can read through if you like. Okay. You've, All right. You've Do got it. for Musso, Quadrado, Gosens, Acerbi, Smalling, Amrabat, Luis Alberto, Papu Gomez. And your front three are Ciro Mobile, Cristiano Ronaldo, oh, and Josef Ilicic. Oh, Ilicic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was a bit unsure where we're going to categorize Ilicic. So, yeah, there we go. It's a fair front three, I think, given that, I mean, Ilicic has had a phenomenal season before the, the unfortunate circumstances arose. Uh, my 11 for record, Luigi Giuseppe, Lassari, Koulibaly, um, basically because I wasn't impressed by any defenders in Serie A this season. Uh, Cherby Gosen, Luis Alberto, Papu Gomez, Remo Freuler, Paolo Dybala, Francesco Caputo, and Ciro Immobile. Kev, only five people voted. Five of, I think it's like 13, voted for Paolo Dybala to get into the team of the season this year. So make of that what you will. Um, are you happy that you've vented or did, do you still well, have something to get off your chest? Yeah, I've still got some. Well, it's not something to get off my chest, but it's kind of in agreement what you were saying when you put Koulibaly in um, because there was a, a bit of a derp of, of, of quality defenders, certainly centre-backs. And I think looking at our team of the season, I think because we are a largely, well, certainly an English-speaking um, site covering Italian football, that there was a little bit of maybe unconscious bias for Smalling. I arguably saw him play his best game in a Roma show this year in the in the derby with Lazio in, in, in January. But... Um, he, he still had his shaky moments, and I would just say because Delict came into Serie A for his debut season younger than Smalling, you know, without those those years of experience at United, that I was just surprised to see Smalling squeeze in. Right. Well, let's get to the awards then, because this is where it goes to the the readers and the listeners of the podcast who have all had their votes. Uh, we've got a load of different categories, and we're we're going to split this up throughout the podcast. So the first three categories that we're going to go through our player of the season team of the season and that's not an, an 11 players that's a, a literal Serie A club who have been voted for as team of the season and coach of the 
season. So I have the results here in front of me. Player of the season in third place with 10% of the vote. We had the Serie A MVP, Paolo Dybala. In second place with 30% of the votes, we had Serie A's Capo Cannonieri, Shiro Immobile. And this is the tightest vote we had. The winner with 31% of the votes, one more than Immobile, was Serie A's best assist maker, Atalanta captain Papu Gomez. And I think it's fair enough, Kev. Papu for player of the season? Yeah, for me it was close between him and Dybala. But as I said earlier, I went for Gomez. Um, It's going to continue being crucial. That's true. It's true. In the second vote, there was team of the season. Last season's award for team of the season was won by Atalanta. It's generally won by Juventus. Some other exceptions over the last 11 years, Genoa, Inter and Milan. Other than that, it's been Juventus every single year. Uh, this season, there was no real doubt with 65% of your votes. Atalanta, team of the season. Third place finish again, another Champions League qualification. And they're in the last eight of this year's competition. Vito, any complaints with Atalanta, team of the season? No, not at all. Uh, they're a team that have once again punched above their weight. Performance-wise, they produce... Uh, most of the best performances of the year. So I think they deserve credit for, again, showing that the whole is greater than the sum of their parts. Absolutely. And then third award that we're going to discuss before moving back to Serie A is the coach of the season. Um, some big, big candidates for, for this year's award. Mauricio Sarri not in the top three despite winning the Scudetto. Um, and now he's out on his bum looking for work. Third place here with 11% of the vote was AC Milan's saviour, Stefano Pioli. Second place with just 16% is Simone Inzaghi, which means that the obvious winner on 56% of the vote for the second year running is Gian Piero Gasparini. And what's quite interesting about this is We've been running these awards since 2009. Gasparini has now won it three. He's now won it four times, which is more than anyone else. Massimiliano Allegri is second place with three overall wins. Gasp won it in 2009 with Genoa, and then 2017, 2019, and now 2020 with Atalanta. Kev, Gasparini's work, I mean, we all know how good it is, right? Is there, is there any point in chiming on about it again? Uh, no, because your head will get too big. I must admit, I did have Gasparini down. I think with the resources at Atalanta and how how much they overachieve, I think if if, if Lazio hadn't had their fall off towards the end of the season, then uh, Simone and Zaga would have been a you know a bigger shout for that. And I don't, I I kind of can't really get on board with any of the coaches that maybe came in part way through the season because I think it if they if there's been an improvement then you're kind of looking at it against maybe what the club should have done with their overall resources across the coaches. But yeah, Gasparini, more than deserved. Well, if you're going to be annoyed by awards one due to half-season performance, that's something that's going to annoy you a little bit later. But we'll park the awards for now and we'll move back <laughs> to look at the rest of the top four. Inter, Atalanta and Lazio rounded at the Champions League places. And 
at the beginning of the season, Vito, a lot of people were suggesting that Antonio Conte's Inter could go on to really, really push Juve this year. They didn't, despite finishing just a point behind them. And how are you evaluating this season from Inter's perspective? Did they underperform a little bit or will they be happy with second and use that as a stepping stone for greater success next season? As uh, Antonio Conte said, he thought that they underperformed and that uh, second was a disappointment from their perspective. For me personally, I reckon, given that what happened uh, under Luciano Spalletti, uh, second place is still an improvement. And I do believe that they should use the performance here as uh, foundations for the next campaign. They have a pretty good strong, a pretty good first 11. And I think with that, they can go far. Just if they add a little bit more depth in other parts of the pitch, I think uh, they do have the weapons to break uh, Juve's domestic dominance. Do you fancy them next season, Kev? I mean, Conte will surely fancy his chances going up against a rookie coach in, in Pirlo. Yeah, I, I do think they're going to be probably the strongest um, rivals to, to Juve. And I was a little bit disappointed now, looking back on the end of the season, that there was a time when I think all of us thought that the title was going to Juve anyway. But Inter, more than maybe certainly Atalanta, um, looked as though they were managing the squad over the, the final few weeks because they had... Uh, the Europa League commitments uh, on the horizon at the end of the season. And actually, if they'd maybe just not gone gung-ho, but uh, pushed a little bit a little bit more, we might have had a, a total race a little bit closer towards the end of the season than we did. Are you a bit disappointed with how this season's played out? There was, there was one game, I say, after, the, after we came out of lockdown against Bologna, where I... I just didn't think they ever looked as though they even wanted to get out of sort of first gear, uh, and they ended up ended up losing that game. Um, I do think after being in quite a strong position at one stage in the campaign, um, Conti's negativity can almost have an adverse effect on his team, uh, and maybe they start believing that they've not got the strength and depth. For you know, they're missing one of those players. Um, why they went in for Ericsson so hard when he couldn't really find a way to, to get him permanently into the starting eleven. Um well, maybe because I sort of put them as my tip for the start of the season, I'm more disappointed than others, but I think most Inter fans will be a little bit disappointed with how the season's finished. Fair Unless they win the open. <laughs> Finishing in third place then again this season, Vito Atalanta. It's just another phenomenal performance from them. Papu and Gasparini as her awards would suggest. Yeah, I think for them, once again, finishing third and getting into the Champions League again, you can't really ask too much from Ladea. They're just in a purple patch of their own. This is the golden age. And uh, I think they'll be happy to be in the position that they're in. Uh, if we really wanted to be picky and say what do they and ask what do they need to win the Serie A title, I think for them it's just more about defenders who are actually good enough at defending because uh, the attacking play is absolutely superb. 
but it's probably just some of those individual moments where they do concede goals. That's probably what's uh, cost them uh, over the course of the season. We've spoken about Atalanta and the Scudetto a lot more than I ever would have anticipated when I started supporting them almost a decade ago now. But next season, I mean, we were kind of saying they might challenge Juve next season anyway. But now, Vito, with Andrea Pirlo taking that job, you've got to say that Atalanta are very much in the title race. As far as I'm concerned, I think... Atalanta, along with Inter, are probably the two clubs that have a realistic chance of breaking uh, Juve's uh, stronghold of the Italian league. Inter have uh, the strongest squad on paper, while Atalanta have that uh, style of play. Not only that, they still have a lot of their core players, so they're able to maintain that. They're able to keep implementing their philosophy. So I think that's where they're going to be the two likely to break that dominance. Uh, Lazio, uh, I think with them, they've got a few excellent stars that we'll probably talk about later, but uh, um, the overall depth uh, probably cuts against them and uh, they're a fine counter-attacking side, don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't think they produce the performances that they do like uh, Atalanta have. Uh, Atalanta are more than capable of just blowing anyone off the park. Uh, it has been another phenomenal season. Words do kind of fail you at times when talking about this team. Um, Kev, last year they finished fourth in the end, despite, I think it was you that said last year we'll finish fourth in a two-horse race. Maybe I'm assigning that to you when it wasn't you, but I'm pretty sure it was. So... I mean, Lazio, they're back in the Champions League for the first time in 13 years. And if you had offered them that at the beginning of the season, they'd have been happy. But given how the season unfolded, Kev, are they going to be looking back at 2019-20 with with positivity or with a a real sense of what could have happened? I think it will be a sense of what what could have happened. Um, You know, it's, it's a bit like when you suffer... A last-minute equaliser. It doesn't. It never feels like an equaliser. It always feels like a defeat because you've sort of had victory ripped from your grasp. Um, I think the only way that they don't kind of look on the season as a failure is that it was interrupted by this, you know, bizarre situation where football had to stop, um, and they re- really were in full swing. But um, they should have. They should still have dealt better. Um, you know, and, and arguably Inzaghi should have dealt better when the wheels started to come off because they never really even sort of stabilised over the space of what would usually be four weeks, but it was probably about two and a half weeks with the frequency of games that we were playing. Um, but they probably achieved their aim to get Champions League football, but um, they, they've got to sort of capitalise on that and maybe push for the title again next year otherwise it will be looked even more so upon as a, a chance missed. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds almost as if like you're suggesting that Simone and Zaghi should be getting a bit more of a hard time for Lazio's collapse. Um, I don't know whether publicly um, he should be getting a hard time because he's built, built up plenty of credit in the bank for what he's done with them. But um, I hope that he will give himself a hard time 
um, because you know you you do learn from the mistakes that they've made over the last uh, few weeks of the season. Um, if he doesn't, then that's a problem with you know probably his long term future as a coach. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sound him out for too much sort of public uh, unrest over how they've done. Vito, what are your, your overall thoughts on last year? Because I think for, for so long, they were the story of the season. It was uh, quite an incredible run that they had to, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, I felt that under normal circumstances, they might have been able to actually hold on into the total race. But uh, unfortunately, the pandemic broke out. I think that did a lot to break their momentum. And... To be honest, I think the only time that they've really looked convincing since Serie A returned was when they were out of the title race. So I'd like to think that they can treat this as an anomaly and then if they are to somehow put up another fight next season, especially if uh, they do sign uh, David Silva, um, perhaps just as long as the season can run as smoothly as possible, maybe they will be able to hold on. That being said, as as important as Inzaghi's management is, I think it's fundamental that the key players like Immobile, Luis Alberto, Malinkovic-Savic, Francesco Acerbi, they are still in uh, top condition. They're still producing their form on a consistent basis. And uh, if they could do that, that will be fundamental. And also for some of the other players like... Uh, Lazzari and um, Joaquin Correa, if they can make significant contributions, that can only help their cause more. On to the next section of our awards now we're going to look at. Um, I can't remember which I said we were going to look at. Now, signing of the season is definitely one of them. Signing of the season, worst signing of the season, and overall loser of the season. Um, the first category up then is signing of the season. The nominees were Lukaku, De Ligt, Teo Hernandez, Kef, uh, Frank Ribery, Lassari, Kuluzeski, Chicho Caputo, Chris Smalling, Sofian Amrabat and Raja Nangalan. Kev, can you remember who got your vote in this one? Um, I think I stuck with a policy of anybody in my team in the season. I think Lukaku just pipped Delict. Um, clearly, 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 somebody didn't like my choice of Lukaku. <laughs> well, I'll run you through the the top three votes anyway. In third place was Dejan Kruzewski with eighteen percent of the vote. Second place with nineteen percent up in Milan. It's Teo Hernandez. And first place, 23% of the vote, Kev, Romelu, Lukaku. You happy enough with that? Yeah, absolutely. You want me to say something about how did Tio get second place, which uh, there must be so <laughs> many lamb. No, uh, no, not with Delict not in there at all. I'm not really, I'm not sure if um, I even sort of considered Kulisewski a signing, to be honest. Well, well me personally, I... I'm pretty sure I voted for Lukaku as well. So when you consider that he scored 23 goals in his uh, first season with Inter, I think that's a pretty impressive achievement. And also, I think he's the third 
third player to have scored over 20 goals in his debut campaign for Inter. Not only that, only two players have scored more than Lukaku in the debut season with the Nerazzurri than him. So the first guy was uh, a guy called uh, Stefano Neus, a Hungarian guy in the 48-49 season or the one after that. He scored 26. And then uh, Ronaldo, il phenomenal, the Brazilian superstar, he scored 25 in 97-98. So I think when taking those things into consideration, uh, Lukaku's been uh, quite an impressive signing and who knows uh, how well we can go after this season. Yeah, I think also because he had that he had that price tag on his back and he was replacing Akadi. You know, whether love him or hate him, Akadi scored goals and he had to take up that mantle. I know he had Martin Martinez there and um, Sanchez came in, but there was a lot of pressure on him and um, I think he coped with it really well. Yeah, well, we can move on to the worst signing of the season now. The, the looking through this list is actually kind of funny. We've got. Kevin Prince Boateng, Mario Balotelli, Valentino Lazaro, Adrian Rabio, Aaron Ramsey, Irving Lozano, Martin Skirtle. Remember, he did actually sign for Atalanta before leaving after a week because he couldn't adapt to the three man system. Uh, Nikola Kalinic and Diego Godin were all the nominees. Vito, can you remember who got your votes? I might have voted for Balotelli, actually. Well, um, you and just about everybody else, because Balotelli was the the winner, if you can say that, of our worst signing of the season with 38%. Martin Skirtle on 15 and Aaron Ramsey on 11. Sorry, Aaron, if you're listening. Uh, I just feel a bit bad for Mario Vito. Um, yeah, I think uh, aside from sort of the way I think went for him like on the field and uh, also probably even although his personal performances had to be uh, criticised if you like, he didn't have the best team to have built around him and more than anything I think just the off-field situation I think that just made things worse, whether it be the racist insults uh, he copped in the Verona game and then Cellin or criticising him on the basis of his skin colour. I don't think that made his return to his hometown club uh, particularly helpful. But I think uh, this could be the final nail in the coffin in terms of a Serie A career, whether he goes abroad, if he stays in Europe or leaves Europe. Uh, we just have to wait and see. But if it was up to me and he wanted to stay in Europe, I think at least in Ligue 1, he had some of the best performances of his career. So if uh, he... If Mino Raiola wants to shop him around in France, uh, I don't think it'd be a bad idea. Mm, yeah, I, I think going back to France might be the best solution for Mario. And hopefully he can carve out a good remainder of his career. The loser of the season is Lega Serie A, which is nice. Um, I mean, they're the guys in charge of everything. For Remember this, Kev, it was this season for using monkeys as a symbol to promote an anti-racist message. That, I mean, given everything that's happened in the world since then as well, that just looks even more mad than it did at the time, doesn't it? Yeah, it was, it was astonishing. And um, they must have, for a, for a short while, been thanking the pandemic because it was taking some of the heat off of them. And then, obviously, the, uh, the tragic events in the US and what sparked... Um, 
like you say, widespread across the world. Um, protests um, kind of brings us back round to highlighting just how bad a move that was from them. Uh, misguided, call it whatever you like. It's, it's ridiculous that anybody anywhere doesn't have a grip on what is suitable, if that's being kind to them, um, to use for such a campaign. To be honest, but we do still have the veteran player of the season, young player of the season, and goal of the season to come as well. But first, we'll dip back into the Serie A standings. Roma finished the season um, not in the worst position in the world, I think it's fair to say. And they, they've crashed out of Europe now as well, though. But for Paolo Fonseca's first season in charge, Vito, given everything he was dealing with off the pitch as well, it's not too bad. No, to be honest, I think uh, qualifying for the Champions League might have been a bit of a stretch for this Roma squad. And uh, I also think he deserves credit for finding a switch in formation towards the end of the campaign, going from a 4-2-3-1 to a 3-4-2-1. So um, I hope he stays in the job, even with the new owners there. And uh, I think it's actually quite good that you know we managed to see a few... Good performances with the signs he got. I mean, uh, Chris Smalling's got some mixed reviews, but I'm probably one of those people that thought it was actually a fantastic addition. Um, he had quite a lot of good performances, and uh, it was probably surprising in the sense that you know a lot of uh, Premier League fans or fans of English football might say that a certain continental player might not adapt to English football because of the pace and physicality. On the reverse side, we could say something about players from the Premier League and saying that they're not able to adapt to the tactical and technical nature of Italian football, but Smalling managed to do that. And uh, it's probably a bit of a shame that the Rossi weren't able to uh, buy him permanently and do a deal with Manchester United. Other than that, uh, Jordan Vertu was a good signing for them. Uh, Zaniolo unfortunately had his knee injury, but when he's been fit, he's produced some moments of magic. And I think if he can avoid injury, he'll just keep on progressing. Uh, Dzeko is still breaking records for for Roma. And uh, although he had a slow start, I thought Enric Mkhitaryan's a good signing. So, yeah, he's another guy I'd like to see remain in Serie A. Yeah, no, not too bad. Um <laughs> Speaking of not too bad, in sixth place, we have AC Milan. Kev, they, for all you tried to pretend otherwise, did very well in the second half of the season. Nobody picked up more points than them this calendar year. And Pioli deserves a lot of credit for, for what he did. Sixth place, given how things started, not too shabby. No, not too shabby at all. They, they deserve plenty of credit for turning it around, really, because they looked a mess at the start of the season. We wondered how, probably wondered how far they could fall. Um, so to sort of steer that ship around and uh, and get them performing and get getting some players there performing that weren't not necessarily well maybe not necessarily underperforming but couldn't quite see where they were fitting into the side. I'm thinking largely of Anti Rebic, who ended up probably having a uh, a decent season because he had such a strong second half of the campaign and uh, to get themselves back up into uh, sixth position um, was just reward. 
I'll stick with you, Kev, for a, a, another clean-up job, which was Gennaro Gattuso at Napoli. They were almost in a relegation fight at some point this season. They went two months without winning a match before Christmas, and Gattuso came in, they finished seventh, won the Coppa Italia, and, I mean, they'll look back at this season and not be too disheartened by it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. I, I think they'll look back at the season and see it as a failure. Um, I say that because they're, well, they're out of Europe. They're certainly out of uh, Champions League. Um, I think they'll see it as, as quite a, quite a, a backward step from where they've been in the last couple of years. I think the positive comes from Gattuso. Um, I don't think I knew what to expect when he took over uh, Napoli. I, I kind of wasn't convinced that he didn't kind of just G the players up, but that Coppa Italia win, um, I thought was a real, a real tactical, I was going to call it a tactical master plan, but Tactically, they got everything right. They signed a sat off Juventus long enough and then sort of tried to hit them. Should have probably taken a lead before the break. So they picked up a trophy, but um, just the way the, the league campaign finished, I don't I don't think anybody in Naples would be too happy. It was quite disappointing for them in terms of the league. And uh, it's thanks to this Coppa Italia victory that they are in Europe next season. Uh, there were a lot of players that underperformed or just weren't able to produce the form that they had in previous campaigns. Uh, I thought Koulibaly, compared to other years, wasn't as good. Uh, you could also say the same about Insignia. And even though Dries Mertens broke some records, uh, uh, even compared to other years, it probably wasn't a vintage year. And more than anything, I think a lot of the signings, they, they didn't turn out as good as they would have been. Giovanni Di Lorenzo I thought was a good bargain, but the money they spent on Herving Lozano and Costas Manolas, I think uh, when you consider how much Napoli paid for them, I think that's very disappointing because probably those two players, especially Manolas, should have added a lot more to the 
squad. And uh, probably in terms of the good signs, I think Diego Demme in January was a good one. But uh, the bargain boys were good. And the ones where they spent a bit lavishly let them down, to be honest. It is really weird how Manolas didn't click with Koulibaly the way everyone thought they would. Because everyone expected that to be like the best central defensive pairing in Serie A. And it just, just didn't happen. Maybe... Maybe next season with a bit more familiarity they'll be able to do that, but but who knows? Um, in terms of everything else, basically between se- between eighth and seventeenth, we we had Sassuolo, Fiorentina, Parma, Verona, Bologna, Udinese, Cagliari, Sampdoria, Torino, and Le- and Genoa. Rather not Lecce, unfortunately. Um, some of the interesting stories in there, I suppose, are, are Sassuolo, who we've spoken about quite a lot on the podcast, but. One of the cases we've not discussed so much in recent months is is Cagliari. And before Christmas, well, until about November, they were the surprise package in Serie A. And then they just went into free fall. They finished the season 14th. And in October, November, that would have been unimaginable. Vito, they've they've appointed Eusebio Di Francesco now, which you would hope will at least make them interesting next season. <laughs> uh, I think at least they've got rid of Zenga, so I think that's the big plus. Um, I didn't think he was ever the right guy to replace Rolando Maran, and uh, Di Francesco now has an opportunity to revive his coaching career. Uh, the move to Sampdoria turned out to be a disastrous one, but I reckon Kayari might have uh, the squad that's probably more compatible compatible with his tactics and his philosophy. So hopefully for his sake, he can do something with them. And uh, I think overall with Kayari, they've got an all right squad. They're a team, I think, they're capable of finishing mid-table. But uh, with the start to the season, they just looked unbelievable. Um, They produced some amazing performances. But I think what not a lot of people point at is that they had a few injuries in the fence. And the reserves that came in to fill in those places were terrible. Um, there was a period of time where Nyingalan was out injured, so that didn't help. And uh, I think also up front, uh, Giovanni Simeone was probably good after the return of Serie but throughout the course of the season, I felt he was quite wasteful with chances. So I if he's not staying on, they just need a striker that's probably a bit more prolific or consistent. And if uh, Leonardo Pavoletti is uh, fit for the 2020-21 season, I think that will help a lot because uh, he is a fantastic aerial threat. Yeah, well, another team who's still a lot of people's hearts, at least on the pitch, not necessarily for what their supporters got up to were the only team who came up and stayed up. Kev, Alas Verona finished 11th, but, I mean, they were really probably the 8th best team in, in Serie A for much of the season. Um, they won a lot of supporters this season. They certainly won me over, because I've predicted them to finish uh, bottom of the pile. Um, and I saw them uh, beat Fiorentina in Verona uh, when I came over to see you guys. And uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed with just how they worked as a team, and then obviously some standout individuals, most notably uh, Amrabat, who they are going to 
sorely miss when he moves to Fiorentina next year. But um, yeah, again, they deserve plenty of praise for where they've uh, finished this year. Vita, we spoke about Fiorentina maybe regretting hiring Beppe Iacchini on a permanent basis. Now that Maurizio Sarri is, is free and available, it, are they going to regret giving him that contract even more? Uh, if Even if they don't reveal it uh, to the outside world, I'm sure inside they'll be hurting because Iacchini's no more than a stopgap solution and uh, you would hope that even if uh, Yakini gets them to another mid-table finish next season, surely the goal should be to either bring in Maurizio Sarri or, at the very least, bring Luciano Spalletti once he's off Inter's books. So, yeah, either Spalletti or Sarri after Yakini have to be the choices of coaches for Fiorentina because they're still the two coaches, despite what they've done at the biggest clubs in Italy, I still think for Fiorentina, uh, those two tacticians can really do something with this Viola squad and try to get them into the Europa League at the very least or something more. Three of the big and they'll make them watchable. Three of the big disappointments in Serie A this season were Sampdoria, Genoa and, and Torino. Uh, uh, we've, we've spoken about a lot of those clubs to the death this season, but Vito... I will give you a final word on Sampdoria's 2019-20 season. Look, needless to say, it was a season to forget for Samp. Um, uh, probably on the positive note was hiring Claudio Ranieri because he did steer the ship, so he deserves enormous credit for this uh, survival campaign. I think uh, that, uh, you know, given the circumstances, he's able to sort of bring a bit of stability and confidence to the squad. And after the return of Serie A due to the pandemic, there was a good spell where Samp won five out of six games. Federico Bonazzoli had a good patch of form. So, And the comeback win against uh, Parma was very impressive. I was happy with that. So not many memories from this season, but there were a couple of highlights here and there that aren't going to disappear from my mind anyway. Um, on to the awards veteran player of the season the nominees were Fabio Quagliarella, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Samar Antanovic, Frank Ribery, Gianpaolo Pazzini, Goran Pandev, Bruno Alves, Rodrigo Palacio and Federico Peluso. Kev, who got your vote for this one? I don't need to say who got my vote, do I? I mean it's big Bruno um, Yeah, I, I I think maybe I was a, because I did the Genoa um, season review and um, realised how much of an impact Pandev had had on the points that ultimately saved them. I probably just had Pandev above Ibrahimovic uh, and probably again because Ibrahimovic came in partway through the season but then that was when Milan's transition kind of started so just Pandev ahead of Ibrahimovic for me. Okay, well, with 59% of the vote, thanks, Milan Twitter, Zlatan Ibrahimovic won the veteran player of the season. And I suppose you can't really dispute that too much. He did have a phenomenal impact on that side. Um, to qualify for that, you had to be 35 years of age or older. At the opposite end of that, we've got the young player of the season. And to qualify for this, the players had to be 21 or younger. The Nominees were Donnarumma, Tonali, Zaniolo, Benacer, Tommy Azu, Bastoni, Kumbula, 
Kulusevski, Delict, and Kev's friend Teo Hernandez. Vito, can you remember who got your vote in this one? Uh, Kulusevski was my pick, but uh, I'll just say before you reveal the votes, uh, Maraj Kumbula deserved a lot of credit for his season. I think he was one of uh, Verona's uh, unsung heroes in defence. I think he was fantastic and He's rumoured to be linked with Lazio and Inter. I think for one of those two sides, I think he'd be an excellent addition to the defence. I think he's one of the, the Hellas Verona players who was key in, in what they did and in them winning so many plaudits this year. But unfortunately, he didn't win our young player of the season. I mean, I think it's a, quite an obvious one. It's, it's Dejan Kulusevski, right? He got the award. I voted for him. He got 39% of the votes. Um, which shows that it was more evenly distributed than some of the other categories. And then we also have the goal of the season. And there are some screamers in here, but some beautiful goals, and also some that didn't even make the cut. The nominees were Ilicic against Torino, um, the one he scored from the halfway line, that is. Ronaldo against Sampdoria, João Pedro against Roma, Dybala versus Inter, Bonazzoli versus Udinese. Kandreva against Lecce, Nangolan versus Spal, Ribery against Lazio, Rabio against Milan, Flockery versus Milan. How did that get in? Recency. And Acerbi against Torino. Kev, who got your vote for this? Uh, Ilicic, probably just ahead of Nangolan. I like the beauty and the pureness of the Nangolan strike, but the, uh, the ingenuity of the Ilicic strike for me. I think I went for the same thing for the same reason and narrowly beat the same one. It was between Nangalan and Ilicic for me for that one. Although I'm a little bit outraged that Papu Gomez against Sassuolo away wasn't named. I think that probably just happened too long ago for, for people to remember it. Like a lot of those were quite recent. Vito, do you remember who you voted for for this one? I'm out of put Bonnet solely just for the sake of him getting votes, to be honest. Well, it was a great goal. Uh, other than that goal, I would have voted for Rabio. I mean, I uh, thought, you know, to run from his own half and then to uh, shoot from outside of the box, it, it was that was still a lovely goal. Mm, that's worthy of a mention for sure, if nothing else. Um, third place with 11%, Cristiano Ronaldo against Sampdoria, the one where he hung in the air for seemingly a lifetime. Second place, Rajan Angolan, that pure strike against Spal, which I watched in the press room at the Mape Stadium at Sassuolo, and I just remember everyone's reaction. It was one of those beautiful moments. And the winner is Josip Ilicic for that goal against Torino. The ingenuity, as Kev said, the quick thinking, and then to score from the halfway line is, is always special. Um, so Atalanta really, really cleaned up in our awards this year. And obviously in the last one, we've got the, the Marco Materazzi Award for greatness. Um, the options are Matrix or Marco Materazzi. And Marco Materazzi won with 77% of the votes. Um, he's won every single year. So someone needs to, to beat him to that award eventually. I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. And just before we sign off, we do have three more teams to discuss who are no longer in Serie A with us, unfortunately. Those three teams are Lecce, Brescia and Spal. 
Kev, are you worried that these teams are not going to return again anytime soon? Oh, I think that's a worry with uh, with every side that goes down. I know you all feel more heartfelt for Spal um, because of what they've given over a, a couple of seasons. But um, other than Lecce, I can't say I was sad to see any of these go based on what they kind of gave us this year. Um, we, we somehow had a, a final day relegation battle, but it didn't look like it for a lot of the campaign. So you're happy to see the back of most of these by the sounds of it? Uh, yeah, well, I was hoping to actually get to pressure and then the pandemic hit. So maybe pressure <laughs> can come back up so I can go and see what the the stadium and the, the town's like. Ah, uh, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> wouldn't bother. Well, if... If we're talking about the three relegation teams, well, I think Lecce, maybe they could bounce back. But uh, I think one of the keys is that they've managed to hire Pantoleo Corvino again as their sporting director. So he brings a lot of valuable experience, uh, did a good job uh, at Fiorentina in the 2000s. Um, he's usually got a keen eye for talent. So maybe he'll bring, I mean, he'll bring some good players in and help build a team that can promote get promoted to Serie A again. And they're keeping Liverani. So I don't think he's actually done that bad of a job, but I still believe probably the defence in particular was pretty terrible and they could do with some better strikers. So if they bounce back, I wouldn't be surprised. Spal, they did a fantastic job on the Semplici. I think in general, they're not a badly run club. It's just that hiring Di Biagio to replace Semplici was a bad move and... They could bounce back, but I'm not going to hold my breath for them. As for Brescia, I'd be very surprised if they bounce back. And to be honest, uh, not just for the sake of scoring brownie points, um, I don't really want them to come back into Serie A simply because without Roberto Baggio, Brescia as a club are a yo-yo team, and I'm just sick of it. They don't add much to the league. It's like they get up. It's like they're either too good for Serie B, but they're too crap for Serie A. It's like there's not really an in-between. Just uh, I think Serie B is where they should stay. And if they're going to come back to Serie A, can you actually get more players that are going to help them stay up? I mean, this is... Out of all the yo-yo teams, they're probably the team that frustrate me the most. Uh, More so than Empoli. At least Empoli have been entertaining. But Brescia, with no budget, they suck. Yeah. When When was the last time Brescia were in Serie A? Before this season? 15, 16 years ago. No, the Atalanta swapped places with them for a year. So the, the 2010, 2011. 14 years. I'll tell you what, that's some, rope, that's some rope on that yo-yo for them to be a yo-yo club. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, it's more 80s, 90s they really had that kind of yo-yo. No, but they are because no team has been relegated from Serie A more than Brescia. So by default, no one has got promoted more either. So they come up and down more than anybody else has. So he's right. Although I take your point, they have been dirt for the last 10 years. And they, they were in a relegation battle for a bit in Serie B a couple of years ago too. So I, oh, I yeah. do think they need to restructure. Cellino's going to leave. Maybe that will allow them to sort themselves out a little bit. Yeah. Who knows though? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be putting money on it anytime soon. Um, but, but yeah, Vito, you can have three brownie points for that anti brescia rant anyway. Um, Always, my book. It's always good in my book. But right, guys, um, 
2019-20, it's been long. It's been very long. And hopefully we won't have a season this long ever again. And hopefully there won't be another global pandemic in our lifetimes. But uh, your your thoughts on the season as a whole, Vito, now that we've had like a week to reflect? As a whole, I can't help but feel that it's a season of what could have been. Uh, one, because of the pandemic. And two, because of the final standings. Although Juventus clinched the title with uh, two games to spare, it's just the fact that Inter were one point behind, it makes you wonder, you know, in some of those games, if Inter were able to get the three points or just the collective performances were able to be better, they were able to click better. Just um, it might have been that time that Juve could have really ended the run, but we'll have to wait and see next year, see if... uh, that dominance is finally broken. Kev, what's your highlight of the season? Seeing you in Turin. Perfect answer. Vito, what's your highlight of the season? Oh, uh, just going to Parma and uh, you know, staying out late, uh, kicking the ball around, uh, having a few drinks. Oh, it was great. Great going to Europe. I really miss it. And uh, I can't wait for Australia to reopen the international borders so people can fly out of the country because uh, I I would really love to be in Europe again, you know, back in Italy, my father's homeland, and to soak up all the football, the culture, see you guys, see other mates. Just so much to explore in Europe. And when you're on the other side of the world, it just, you know, it does hurt me inside. It does. Uh, you, you said that like half in jest, but uh, having you here in Parma was, was quite a good experience. Like we, we stayed at Pilota for for a long, long time drinking and, and playing football, which was good. And Kev, obviously, as well, seeing you in Torino, we, we had some experiences that night. Um, uh, it was the weather wasn't <laughs> the best. We had better weather when Vito was here. But, you know, they, they were good times. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to welcoming you both back with with open arms when it's possible again in the future. My uh, highlight of the season, thanks for asking, was, uh, I, I feel a bit bad saying this now, but it was when I thought I had to beat Milan 5-0. Come on, that, that <laughs> was good, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was a great display, I mean. <laughs> it just, ooh, oh, I'm sure. Milan Twitter, they're going to be up in smoke. <laughs> Well, yeah, probably Atalanta's wins. I'd probably go either the 7 0 against Turin or the 7 1 at home to Udinese. You could have <laughs> Just the, the fact that they left it too. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that house, Milan, house Milan Twitter's beef with me peaked that day because oh, yeah. I'm an Atalanta fan, right? I mean, people yeah. know if you follow me on Twitter, you know this. But people gave out to me for celebrating yeah. Atalanta beating Milan 5 0. Oh, so that was just weird. Yeah. It was great. I know, yeah. Funny thing is, Milan Twitter actually liked me. I got a lot of uh, (laughs) followers that are Milanistic. So I'm the opposite to you, Connor. Um, I probably interact with more Milan Twitter more than other fan bases. And uh, probably the, I'm trying to think who has the most beef with me. Probably you and Tini get a bit antsy. Mm. And and that's without me saying that I don't support Juve anymore. So, yeah, imagine uh, how that would go down. But yeah, well, um, Con- I'm sure Connor had a Milan shirt once. <laughs> I've had a Milan shirt, an Inter shirt, a Fiorentina shirt, a Palermo shirt, a Genoa shirt, and Sampdoria shirts. I've had a Lotus area shirts, so don't read too much into that, mate. 
Um, I've got a collection in my attic, which is always nice to explore when I'm home. But yeah, okay, we done. Yeah, we done. See, uh, <laughs> see you for twenty 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 one. Yeah, so the yeah, the next season starts weeks. on the nineteenth of September. It's the tenth of August now. Just turned eleventh of August now. Um, we'll be back about a week before the season begins. So um, enjoy. It's usually enjoy your summer at this point, but summer is almost over. Enjoy the next four weeks. We might have like a one-off pod that I've not edited that's been there for about six months that I'll drop in the feed at some point. So do keep an eye on the feed because um, we'll be talking about uh, Derby de la Lanterna if it ever goes up uh, from the My Favourite Game series that we did during lockdown. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Keep reading ForzaItalianFootball.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Forza Italian Football. Follow us on Twitter at Serie A FFC. Vito, I'm sure you'll still be talking about things on your social medias. So let the listeners know where they can find your stuff over the off-season. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, uh, the main place for me, of course, is uh, the Forza Italian Football website. So any articles I write are obviously going to be published there. Otherwise, look, we're where football's concerned, uh, just follow me at Vito C. Doria. So most of the time, I'll probably just be talking about all the transfer rumours, see which ones are realistic, and also um, how certain players can fit into certain teams. Because uh, I like that type of stuff, you know. Who can fit into this team? Does this signing make sense? Blah, blah, blah. So follow me there. Perfect. And Kev, do you want people to interact with you? <laughs> absolutely they can get me everywhere at rabbit rabbit on if i'm not watching football i'm usually drinking heavily somewhere yeah you've got my <laughs> yeah. um, that's right and your your instagram stories often contain some fairly uh not questionable but unexpected photos shall we yes. say um, yes. oh yes well you know the wife helps yeah <laughs> there was one in a in a bath uh, oh, is that me in the bath, though, surely? Beer Czech bath. Republic. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When we had our beer bath in Prague, yes. Well, hopefully the travelling will start again soon. I've been looking at holidays this afternoon. Okay. Well, good. Um, yeah. Right. So there you go. Keep reading the site, guys. Interact with us. Say hello. You know where to find us. Um, we love you all. Speak to you next season. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao, everyone. Ciao, Dovid Zenia, Arrivederci, Avita Zain. Bye. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 